So I think there's been a lot of people thinking because I'm not running my restaurant or running a restaurant that somehow I've there's an ending or and it's not for me I'm really ramping up for the next phase yeah I'm excited I'm excited about the future in hospitality I'm, I'm excited about that this is the deep in the weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep it's the summer series of deep in the weeds where we welcome back previous guests to share a few yarns from their lives in food and today is an absolute pleasure to welcome back Catherine Russick. Catherine, how are you? I'm super, thanks, Huck, and thanks so much for thinking of me and inviting me back too. Uh, uh, it's, it's great to get to you um, back on the show. Um, you, you built a career where people had to travel to visit you and enjoy your food, but have you done a lot of um, travelling for food yourself? Uh, I've done a ridiculous amount of travelling for food and I've got some real, like a, um, your invitation just caused me to um, dig deep and I've actually even been like, where were we? Well, I'm going to have to look that up. How far south is that? What were we looking for? And, you know, it's all those because I, I spent, um, I did my apprenticeship for um, my chef's apprenticeship in Canada, so at the Stratford Chef School, and it was in the era of the that glorious magazine, which is Saveur, and it was all so new to me. And mind you, at the same time, everyone I studied with was just in love with um, Gourmet Traveller and uh, Australian food media. It was very, very hot, so that would have been like 93. And um, it's still hot, don't get me wrong. <laughs> and, um, and so Hal, my beautiful Canadian partner and now husband, who we've you know, been together in love and life and business for 27 years or something ridiculous, um, we, would, we would take the opportunity to go on these Sever Magazine-inspired um, sort of pirate trip adventures uh with on no money um but lots of uh lots of appetite and um silliness really is, is there any that stand out that you can share with us oh absolutely i i've actually just been on the maps looking at where do we go so our destination so we were um we were both apprentices and at the time in canada you just the, the pay was just I think we worked out once it was like $2.11 an hour. So when I say we had no money, we really had no money. So I think we'd done, we had some time off, maybe only a few days. We'd done a rent -a bomb and we started heading south with our destination being, we would say Dubois, but in Pennsylvania they say Dubois. And so we were on our way to Dubois to look for and, and, and with further and further afield to go to Maryland and Virginia in pursuit of barbecue, um, you know, those one-pot big village cook-offs that they have down there and ramps and fiddleheads and, oh, you know, amazing food things, fried chicken. <laughs> and so, but our, our stop was Dubois. So the car we'd purchased, we'd rented, had... Um, we established early on that there was no aircon, but as a bit of a running joke, we would close the windows and, and act like the aircon was working. And then the first one to break 
meaning like just covering in sweat and reaching for the window. And then we'd just howl with laughter and keep driving and leave the windows down until it's like, nah, I think that aircon's working. Hold on. So that was the whole trip. We arrived at a little this little town called um, Du Bois and as soon as we got to our really like carpet up the walls kind of hotel, um, we were like, ah, is there a, is there a pool somewhere like where we can go for a swim? Oh, sure, hun, you know, giving us directions to the pool. So we walked off and as we, it was that classic, not unlike an Australian country pool, not unlike Lancefield Pool, which I'm quite close to at the moment in central Victoria. So walk in, no one at the kiosk, oh, that's okay. So we walk in, look around and we notice there's a little table of food and everyone's having their, having a swim and um, Hal and I are just straight in and we're like, we're, we're doing a, like a little bit of whooping and hollering because we're so excited. And there was a big, um, a big dip, like a big wa- winding slide. So we're like up the top of that, joining the queue with the kids. Everyone's having fun. Woohoo! Down the slide we go. Anyway, Hal, being Canadian and super fastidious and courteous, um, swims over to the guard and says, um, oh, just to let you know, we've come in, but we still need to pay. There wasn't anyone at the kiosk, but we'll make sure we pay on our way out. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, that, that's that's Okay. I should just let you know it's a private party. (laughs) (laughs) So we'd been like, we totally like crashed a 10-year-old's birthday party. Amazing. (laughs) And, And we'd noticed that there was a table of food and we, of course, hadn't gone over and helped ourselves with the food, but we were just so desperate for cold water. I think that we didn't even join the dots and sort of go, yeah, there's chips, there's soft drinks, it's a kid's, it's a kid's birthday party. That said, I, I have had the most beautiful travel times in the States and I've had so many and I do find, for, for, in my experience, that they've been such friendly, welcome, like I've had just the warmest welcomes by all, all over the country and, and, of course, they said, you're welcome to stay. You can join us because, of course, then they go, where are you from? And I'm from Australia and Hal's from Canada and they've got such a love of Australia. They're just, for many people, they can never imagine coming here, you know. It, it's And I'd always say, oh, it's only a day on a plane. But then I'd realise, yeah, then they just don't imagine that that's something in their, um, you know, it's a dream, not not a reality. Mm. What's what's you said that you've had a lot of um, amazing experiences throughout the US? Is there any sort of food experiences that really jump out to you and and um, feasts or dishes that that you love? Yeah, I, I I tend to when I travel, I tend to either go real low end or try and have some of those experiences that are one off. So you know, they're the days of when I was desperate to go to um, Daniel in New York City and 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 went and also went to um, on our after Hal and I married we traveled for six months and spent a lot of time in California and ate at Chez Panisse and went to Kermit Lynch's wine store and had Acme bread and did all those things but even of all those things there was a beautiful Pacific Coast trip in California where we were just 
there is, and I don't, you know, I don't want to sound like, oh, the old country, like I don't know if it still exists there because I haven't been recently, of course, but I loved, there was an artichoke, a fried artichoke shack experience that I don't think I'll ever forget in California where we had, we would have had just, you know, an esky in the car and some beers on board and pulled in and I think it was nine US dollars We'd driven up from LA through, I think it's called Bakers, Bakersville, through the centre there and then headed down the coast. And we just kept coming across, you know, beautiful, you know, you could get lots and lots of strawberries, but these artichoke shacks where they just had a big mountain of fried artichokes and they don't fry them in a batter. I think they're just dusted in flour and then hot, hot fried. So you get these beautiful, crunchy, crunchy, the, the, they're cut like they're cut in like eighths. And so the leaves go like brittle, like chips, and then you get the beautiful creamy heart. And I think it was just served with like a commercial mayo, but with lots and lots of um, gherkin, like sour gherkins cut up in it and yeah that's I've never forgotten that and that was like you know we were on like a food uh, um, like a full-on food journey (laughs) and that was actually the standout dish for me I think something that came in a cardboard box on a roadside stand so maybe it's me that's well maybe it's me that's just a bit lowbrow huck <laughs> no, no, I'm with you. I love those experiences. They're so so real and so heartwarming as well. Do, do you have any sort of travel food stories that really sort of affected your cooking and the way that and the approach that you took with your food? I would I would say that more than um, having an impact on my food because I I think I'm probably shy to venture into um, food practices that aren't my culture. So I'm pretty sensitive about that just because I feel that there's, um, yeah, uh, there's something for me about staying true to, I've got, I've got a little sort of the Catherine list of, I'll say to people, oh, no, that's good food, that's good. And, it, and it'll be like, mm, no, no sheep are really efficient they're good to eat or you know all ducks they take a lot to eat like I've got all these little little you know my own oh, I love my this own, I want yeah, to know more about this I list. know I'll just say to people I oh, know that's good food that is <laughs> but but in terms of um travel experiences that shaped my hospitality absolutely and I didn't grow up going to restaurants in uh, like that was I probably didn't take myself to a restaurant. I think I would have been 17 and it would have been at beautiful Rosati with um, Rinaldo Di Stasio and um, Piero Gesualdi. So that was, I remember sitting there thinking, knowing. It was like a switch went on. It's like, yeah, I love this. I love how I feel when I'm here. And from that, you know, beyond that, um, I loved going to, I noticed the first Japanese restaurant I ever went to and there was a hike from the counter. I loved that. And then travelling in um, Thailand and um, 
I did a lot of travel in Southeast Asia as a teenager. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how my parents thought that was okay at the time. But I was particularly young. I think I just turned. I might have. Ju- I think I was seventeen when I left for Southeast Asia, and I do remember thinking, uh, like at those roadside corn stalls in Bangkok or in um, regional Thailand, they were selling barbecued corn or any vegetables that you could dip in lovely sauces and sell. And I remember just thinking how much dignity the people had and the warmth and the togetherness and the, yeah, but mostly the pride and dignity of I'm serving something really beautiful. Um, And even though, and I always think that simple is not that easy. And so, yeah, it's probably more the feeling that you can give people that I have gained from my travel experiences. And there was one particular, I think we were in Klang in Malaysia um, and going out to an island called Tiaman and uh, we'd arrived late at night. It was a kind of awkward connections and we had been dragging a bottle of, (laughs) wait for it, baby duck, that we'd been given and we were travelling in parts where there was no alcohol so we were hanging on to this baby duck like it was like, you know, <laughs> grow a champagne. <laughs> and and um, we ended up, we chilled it in our little um, shack bungalow and we'd gone to a, we'd walked by a little place in the day and said, would it be okay if we bought a bottle of wine with us tonight? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm talking, it had dirt floor, um, just wooden stools, very, very um, basic. And we took our bottle of ice-cold baby duck and we had um, a most beautiful, one of the most memorable crab dishes I've ever had. And it was prepared right there in front of us. So we were just sitting on low stools and the woman who was cooking it was right beside us on the same level and she had uh, like just a wood block and it was really just like a block of wood, not like a chopping board. It was a wood block and a big chopper and she had live crabs and she chopped those into pieces, whole garlic, whole chilies that she just systematically chopped piece by piece, no, no big expert slicey dicey moves and the garlic and the chilli went in, they came out, the heat got turned up, the crab went in and then lettuce was thrown in, a, like an iceberg-style lettuce, and then just the chilies and garlic thrown back in and seasoned and a little extra addition of oil. And then that was just sort of, you know, tossed on a large sort of platter-type plate and put between us and we served our baby duck over ice in tall glasses. <laughs> and seri- And I think, I think that feeds into the, you know, I've still got a crush on my beautiful husband but I think it just feeds into all those things of you know just how in love we were and how happy I was to be traveling and together and experiencing delicious things that we'd never had before and it was all on a dirt floor with you know in a place that we'd never been before and and have never been again that's they're special special things for me um, it's summer at the moment. What, what's a, what food or feasts remind you of summer? Yeah, not seafood. So, I, 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 like, I love. I'm a total oyster nut, but I probably don't eat them from about September on. I love. I love eating those 
fatty, plump oysters through the winter. So oysters are a winter thing for me. But what are what are summer foods for me? Well, of course, um, uh, for my Canadian side, so for being in Canada, I just am nuts about wild blueberries. So Hal was just um, at home in Canada in July and he was sending me pictures of him um, picking wild blueberries from the canoe. <laughs> so I, I used to go berserk for wild blueberries in Canada and peaches and and I do the same here. Like I, as kids we'd get big orders of Araluan peaches and mum would, you know, preserve and pickle and make sauces and beautiful things from peaches when we'd get this big order of Araluan peaches. And so um, all those sweet corn, we'd grow sweet corn. I, I love, love, love sweet corn that's just picked. And and I, I never do the, I never do the leave it in its um, outer casing and put it on a barbecue or anything. I actually don't like the take. I, I love it just literally dropped in water for two, three minutes onto onto plates with lashings of butter and I like quite a lot of pepper on it too. And if you want to know how daggy I am about corn, I even have corn plates, Huck. <laughs> I've got a corn platter and a corn, like a myolica, I think you call it, a corn butter dish and corn serving plates because I just, this is January, late January, um, I just love corn and I'll eat it. Every, and I do do that thing where I just eat it every day. I'll eat tomatoes every day. I'll eat zucchini every day. I'll eat corn every day. I just go through the blitz of what's what's on. Well, I'm on board with this corn thing. I need to get myself some corn plates, I think. You do. I mean, every household needs them. <laughs> There's been so much change over the last couple of years and particularly yeah. in hospitality and huge changes for you as well. What's your favourite things in food sort of and what are you expecting in the next couple of years? Uh, I and every, every, every chef will perhaps sort of think, oh, what a jerk. But I actually really appreciate what dietaries have done for menus. So I love that there's been menus designed that um, people with particular needs can come in and make it work um, without having to have a long conversation about it. And I particularly admire, and I, I don't want to sound like an old, um, I, I feel like I'm quite contemporary, but I'd really notice that a lot of the younger chefs that I'm around have a really great connection to that and the way they put their menus together considers that so that's a that's a um, super helpful thing to me I was dining out uh, this week and I even at more traditional places I'm noticing that there's um, lots on offer for people and whether it be that they can't have gluten or that they're eschewing all animal products like I just I, I never I, I don't like to say words like oh vegetarian or vegan or if people are eating plants or if people aren't eating flour or gluten like I love that there's things that you can just put together a spread with your mates and enjoy it and you don't have to have a long conversation about it. So I really appreciate that from a menu design perspective because it's about being inclusive and it's time at table and sometimes you're getting together with a gang and you can't all eat the same stuff. So I love that there's been that consideration um, 
in a proactive way in terms of menu design. Uh, what do I think we'll see uh, coming up? Well, you're right. There's been so many, you know, the changes are really obvious um, and it has to be done differently. I still think there's a way to go for encouraging our audiences to appreciate that some of the ways that things are being done are from a, a broad sense of sustainability. Not, and I don't mean sustainability as in, you know, oh, we're recycling or I mean sustainability in that the people who work in those spaces can, t can continue to do that. I mean that the overheads can be um, contracted in areas where they need to be and expanded in areas where they need to be, like um, wage growth, for example. And I think that is happening. I, I really do think that's happening in places that will be, that are playing a long game. Yeah. Does that, that gives us a start, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, an, it's an amazing thought. Um, You've you've had such an interesting period of time. Um, what, what do you what do you love about sort of where you're at now, and um, you know, sort of the, the coming years for yourself? Oh, I when I closed my restaurant Colenso in June 2021, and that just felt like so right. My own adult children were ready to um, head to their own beginnings. Uh, I hadn't seen my 92 year old mother. Um, on a regular basis in New South Wales because of border restrictions. So I really wanted to have um, no schedule. So I took that. I've spent lots of time at the coast, lots of time visiting. I've begun my um, uh, master's in business administration. So I've had lots of um, lots of opportunity. Yeah, yeah. So I began that in March this year and I've found that just super exciting. But so many people, it's like um, I've, I've uh, done the backing vocals on my sister's album this year too. <laughs> so I did that in January. What? Yeah. So my sister, Alana Rusak, is a recording artist and my niece, Emma Rusak, is a recording artist as well. And Alana asked me back in January and she would never have done this but she knew that I you know was I was free <laughs> and so she said would you do the backing vocals on my album and I'm a I am a I do have a singing quality. I am, I am a singer. And I said, she didn't just do it randomly. And I said, ah, oh, man. So I'd never been in the studio with my sister, which is weird to think that we'd never done that. Um, and I was saying to her the other day, it's funny, you know, people say, oh, do you still sing? And I feel a little bit, and of course, you never stop that. You, that doesn't ever go away. And it's the same with um, food and wine and cooking. That never goes away for me. So I think there's been a lot of people thinking because I'm not running my restaurant or running a restaurant that somehow I've there's an ending or and it's not for me I'm really ramping up for the next phase yeah and it's a total it's a beginning it's there's there's yeah I'm excited I'm excited about the future in hospitality I'm, I'm excited about that yeah it's not um yeah <laughs> 
Well, Catherine, uh, you always have this amazing knack to put a big smile on my face. It's always such a pleasure catching up with you. And um, you've always got so many stories to share. We've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that you, you got in touch. And um, it's just lovely to speak with you too, Hark. And I just always appreciate what you're up to. And I'm lo- I love the podcasts. Well, um, please keep in touch. And um, I think we'll have to catch up again soon. Beautiful. Thanks so much. Cheers. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.